You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Malachi Black. Malachi, thanks so much for being with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Malachi, uh, to begin with, I know you're going to read some poems today, but you're also talking to me from Lithuania, small town, Vilnius. Um, can I ask what you're doing there? That's, that's exciting that you are there. And uh, at this moment, we're talking on December 22nd, of course. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, Brainerd, in 2017, I received a mysterious invitation to attend a literary festival grounded here in, in Vilnius and a small spot town known as Druskinke. And uh, I was mystified in some measure by the invitation. I think I later succeeded in tracking down its source. But um, one of the surprising elements for me, not to insist on this genealogical thread for the duration of our discussion, but just by way of anecdote, um, it happens that I descend from Lithuanians on my father's side. But my great-grandfather left Lithuania in 1903 and entered um, Ellis Island, spent some time in Bayonne, New Jersey, not far from where I grew up, uh, coincidentally, but then retreated to the Lower East Side and ultimately uh, retired to Mount Vernon, New York. He was unable to write in English. His naturalization papers contained the mark uh, X, uh, where his uh, signature was required. And uh, Lithuania remained a very remote figment of the family mythology. I hesitate to characterize it even as a salient component of the family imagination. Um, my father's family is quite dispersed and very small. Intimacy is not um, what I would say uh, an emphatic component of family life uh, on that side in particular, not to diminish the legitimacy of, of human bonds. But uh, what excited me about the invitation was not only that I had never in my life considered visiting Vilnius, but that I might in some way be returning to a land from which my ancestry fled. Um, I myself, being unable to speak Lithuanian, was not surprised to uh, arrive and contend with my own ignorance. But what was exciting to me was that I had mastered the language my great-grandfather could not speak upon his emigration from this nation. And to return by virtue of my own fluency, to read my work in English in his homeland was an opportunity too, uh, shall we say, uh, unusual <laughs> to resist. And so I arrived. I hardly knew what to expect of my visit. Um, I could describe what kinds of climates uh, and, and sort of architectural elements I, I had devised in my imagination, but I think they would be unflattering both to me and to the city from which I am speaking to you now. But um, I arrived and, and found myself utterly swept away. I was dazzled, stupefied even. And um, in the aftermath of this festival, uh, I, I maintained a series of communications with local literary artists. And uh, in years thereafter, I, I returned. And in the course of those visits, I fell in love with a Lithuanian poet. Uh, so we now um, split our time between Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania, and San Diego, where I teach at the University of San Diego. And so that's the roundabout means to which I, I, I come to speak to you from uh, Dzukugate in Vilnius, uh, Lithuania. I love that. I'm so glad you did share that. So, um, I mean, as a, as, a, as a town, you know, what is, 
what kind of uh, attracts you to staying there? I mean, I, you know, there's the genealogy, like you're saying, the family history. Also, of course, um, your partner. Uh, but is it, you, you mentioned that the, the buildings were not as you imagined, and you don't have to tell me what you did imagine, but, but what, what does it look like there? It looks like a city grounded in six or eight centuries simultaneously. Some of the stones in this city are uh, 14th, 15th century stones. Uh, some of them are, are Soviet bricks from the mid-century. One can walk down certain avenues here. Novarduko, um, Gate, the Lithuanian word for street, would be one example. And you can traverse approximately 500 years of socio-political history in a matter of 15 minutes. Um, there is a concentration of mist which derives from the moistness of the earth, which makes every descent into evening a form of intoxication that maybe Turner could imagine if he were painting in midnight neon. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's such an unusual space because its independence emerged at roughly the time that Nirvana's Nevermind struck number one on the U.S. pop charts. At that moment, this small nation of 2.8 million people was beginning to assert its autonomy from Soviet hegemony and in the course uh, was acknowledged by the Icelandic Republic as a legitimately autonomous nation. And it became the first, in fact, of the Soviet satellite states to, to establish independence. But that means it's, you know, it's not even 30 years old. And so one can encounter here not only a rich pre-modern history. This was once a, a flourishing Jewish community. It was once a German possession. It has several times been a Russian possession. Uh, for some period of time, Napoleon was camped out here when he was fighting the Russians. The streets have had four or five languages written on their signage in the course of the last, uh, say, 250 years. And in the wild acceleration toward westernization, you have these beacons of modern architectural prominence, um, like the Zaha Hadid architects, for example, just won um, the, the, the prize for the redesign of the, um, of the Vilnius station, uh, the metro station. So you have these, some of these uh, accents of, of tremendous modernization and contemporaneity mixed with these um, medieval streets and stones beneath which the, the, you know, the sand and dirt have, have lain uh, since, uh, or have laid since, um, since well before Shakespeare was born. Uh, and and that, that, that creates a really dynamic atmosphere for a city of 600,000 people. It's also a proudly um, nationalistic space that is equally international. So you have many generations of Lithuanians who occupy very different positions in, the, um, in terms of interiority. Some of them are essentially uh, Russian citizens. They're, 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 I would even say they're traumatized by Soviet occupation. They grew up inside of a Soviet prison camp. I don't want to diminish um, the extent to which uh, you know, there was laughter and, and love nevertheless in the streets at that time. But these people are, are skeptical. They're suspicious. They're removed. Then you have this, this sort of middle generation, those who were in high school and college when independence struck, and they are um, the keepers of memory and, and the chief firelighters of modernization. And then you have a young generation uh, who are completely Western European citizens, and they all have different outlets and they all bring different elements to the scene. So, you know, the, I can go to a bar that has, um, you know, the sort of atmosphere of the Lower East Side of New York City circa 
1980, <laughs> I could go to a bar where I could buy, um, you know, like Hope Cuisine, uh, you know, pre prepared by a sous chef who spent many years in Paris. Um, I, can, uh, I can go to, uh, you know, a museum of modern art that may be showing uh, any number of international or, or, or local pieces. And these things all come together to, to knit a really unusual uh, mitten. Uh, of, it's quite cold here, so forgive my, my, my figures of speech may all be winterized. Um, that, uh, that I find intoxicating to the imagination. Uh, I'm not sure that nomadic existence is central to the creative life. Uh, I can't even say that it has been central to mine, but I have found that I think and write in a very different way when I'm in this space from other spaces I've inhabited. Um, I'm also a committed pedestrian, and I live in Southern California on a full-time basis. I share Wordsworth's enthusiasm for the stroll. I find it to be generative in many respects. Of course, it's also wholesome. Um, but this is a city where I can move anywhere on foot or by public transit. I live in Southern California where, you know, such things are, 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 are confounding aspirations if, uh, if one really wants to take a bus. I can drive on a highway to work and get there in 10 minutes or take public transit and get there in 95. Um, so, uh, all, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I've succeeded in, in, in stating in succinct terms what I find unusual here, but um, to have a... a, a Baroque emblem situated beside Soviet brutalistic office building um, next to, uh, you know, blindingly glass and metal um, superstructure is, uh, is a strange enough symptom of uh, the contemporary world. But, but to put that together with uh, all the elements of history, uh, aspiration, and memory that are mixed here makes it, uh, makes it a, a misty and, uh, and, and magnifying space. Thank you. I'm so glad I did ask that question. That's that's so fascinating. Um, to to jump right into your your work, um, what what are you going to read from? I'd I'd love to hear a poem. Beautiful. I'm going to start um, with some of my newer work. Um, actually, no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a poem. This is from my my current manuscript entitled Indirect Light, uh, but perhaps on the theme of history. Um, it's suitable to the moment. <clears throat> this is old Pol Polaroids, pictures from a graduation. So this must be the color of the past, a light as amber as the whiskey in my glass, the ice long melted. There, a tint of antique paper in the unsuspecting air embellishes the silhouettes, yellowing the glare into a jaundice. Like dinner silver tarnished to a patina of brass, each shine has lost its polish in the drawer where it was left. The teeth, the tightened eyes, the hair, the flash caught in old eyeglasses, once noted for their stylishness, now clownish, graceless, brash. Some things are ugly simply for their earnestness. We stand in for ourselves, arranged like storefront mannequins left in their window years after the business has collapsed. Our faces blanched, our gazes dead behind the glass. We look, but can't look back. From time to time, an aging passerby looks in. He frames his fading face with jaundiced hands. His eyes are blank. He squints. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, tremendous images there, uh, and, and and really, really beautiful. And you 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 mentioned just before this that somehow this is also appropriate to to this moment in time. Um, do you mean the pandemic? I was thinking more in terms of my own uh, narrative about being situated in history, but I would say there's no denying that the pandemic has dislocated us from our, our sense of uh, what individual progression. Uh, the, the linearity of time seems to have been disrupted in some measure by virtue of uh, the various variants <laughs> that, that we've encountered. Uh, and I would even say the passage of time seems to have been um, reorganized. Uh, the differentiation between one moment and its neighbor is harder to master in an age when we might be locked inside, uh, where our days are indistinguishable one from the next, our pajama pants remain the same, the Zoom screen likewise, um, our interlocutors rooted in our professions um, seem hardly to be different uh, in their hairstyles, in their laughter. Um, there, there has been uh, what I would describe as a, a sort of um, a burrowing of, of each moment into the last rather than a passage of one forward into its successor. And I hope that poem uh, accents that in some way. It does. And, and, I, and of course, I understand that line of history as well. It's just everything seems to be through the lens of the pandemic now, like, like any crisis. Uh, this is from a current manuscript that you're, you're working yes. towards publishing? Yes, that's correct. I'm trying to, to clean it up, and we'll see uh, how quickly these things materialize. My last book took me, I don't know, eight or nine years, and I'm just about to reach a similar moment, so I will, I will let, it, uh, let it determine its fate. So I'd love to hear another one. What is the next poem you have for us? Well, I would be happy to read uh, perhaps... Speaking of the pandemic, um, I have uh, the centerpiece of my, of my first collection is a crown of sonnets entitled Quarantine, and that seems appropriate, but I'm actually, I'll probably defer that, maybe I, I'll read from it later, but I'm going to read instead a text that might be, might verge on the academic in some way, but this is a poem entitled A Memo to the Self-Possessed. Uh, it's fair to describe it as a poem of direct address. Um, that addressee is Marcus Aurelius, um, the Roman emperor who also is a renowned, or maybe I should say celebrated Stoic philosopher. Um, I'm not sure it's fair to call him a philosopher exactly. It took me years of reading and frustration to realize that the second person pronoun as it functions in that book is actually a mechanism for self-address. And I, that was alleviating. I felt a little bit less consternation when I tried to read from it and soothe myself, recognizing that it was an act of self-soothing. But this is a poem of confrontation derived from, maybe I should say, my earlier disposition um, in reference to the second person pronoun in the meditations. <clears throat> a memo to the self-possessed. Caesar, I can see the blue breath of a meteor rake the naked vacancy of sky an exhalation aching from the fate of Gemini for conflagration in the hazard of our atmosphere. The teeth of earth burn with the friction of their gear, 
turning once and then again as mathematically the year painstakingly divides our tribulations. Here, and only here, the moisture in a sigh is equal to both fever bead and tear. The heart beats as an instrument of sciences unclear to its own monitors. Here, we try but find no foothold on an enormous sphere. We falter as the circus ball revolves, then disappear just after our first flat-lined equilibrium. And where are you tonight, Marcus Aurelius? Are you as steady as the fulcrum, or are you just another victim of the lever? My bony liege, even heady Archimedes, was dissevered by the seared blade of the siege. Not Aristotle nor his soft-wrought golden mean can buttress us against an iron sword's keen cut-and-thrust. Caught in our palpitating selves, we are furious machines. Caesar, I have seen the sea in shelves of foam, and I have known it as an ancestor. In this undertow of pulse, what solemn stroke do you propose? What stoic song can cool, can calm the meteoric note of my hot throat as it explodes? Thank you. Um, yeah, such, a, such a different poem and, you know, such a enigmatic figure too, uh, Marcus Aurelius. Thank you for that. I, you know, I've, I've read Meditations, and it seems to be a book that's, that's so widely interpreted and, and in so many different ways. And even as you were saying before, uh, reading that, you know, the language, the, the self-address, the, you know, the, the way it's structured. Um, uh, you know, Meditations, I've heard so many different things about how it was translated and, 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 and put mm. together. But it, it's, it's, you know, that, that, that poem does give me this feeling that that poems can do of you know has has kind of the ring of truth that that, that we're there that, that this is him speaking and um, and I don't know if that's reaching too much but that's that, that's how I relate to it it seems to be a very different type of of writing uh, than than the last and uh, and the kind of dip into history in a, in a different way but it's almost almost a I hesitate to use the word reenactment, but this type of of, of uh, almost uh, ecstatic type poem. Well, not really, but 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 a kind of like like wow, these, these kind of speeches that you imagine happening, you know, in, in a Senate in, in in Rome or something. That's incredibly flattering. I am appreciative of many elements of what you've just. Stated. I won't uh, emphasize the components that would be most flattering to me, but I will, I will say that um, since I understand part of our interest today is maybe in the broader subject of creativity, that uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day about this very matter. How many, and it may be that this is an oversimplification, uh, and I'm navigating my own relationship between these poles, but I have determined in my own creative life through my admiration for any number of artists that there are those who are, what, of the model of Cezanne and those of the model of, of Picasso. That is something I know, Brainerd, you've heard many times in your life, but that sort of obsessive winnowing or narrowing or uh, aspiration for a measure of perfection, which could be construed in some way as a, as a sort of fluent approach. I can think of uh, poets like John Ashbery, not to say he didn't change, or, or Wallace Stevens, 
um, whose manner seems to entail a recipe for the, the, the act of making. But then there are those who, who seem to accomplish one discrete goal and then aspire to a different, uh, a different mode. And that is not more noble. It may be more lost. It may be less distinctive um, when taken overall because how, I, I, you know, at any moment, if, if, if one were to isolate a text from even, you know, somebody as well known to us as William Butler Yeats, you take the human child from early in his career and put it next to the tower, I think it would be hard-pressed to identify them if you erase the names and, okay, yes, let's, let's move back a century so that, you know, they weren't well known to us in any respect. It would be, it would be a challenge to identify them as texts from the same pen. I certainly, to this point in my life, have, have erred on the latter side. I don't mean to insinuate that I'm in any way comparable to a poet like William Butler Yeats, but rather that, you know, the, the, if, you, if you experience those poems as, as disparate in some way, I take that as a, as a form of commendation because I, I certainly aspire to, to play the guitar, yes, but to play Bach and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, um, what, and... and uh, New Orleans jazz and, and blues. I, I want to be able to, to move my fingers on that instrument and produce as many varieties of sound as possible. Uh, I'm not sure to the extent to which that has, uh, has always served me. I find it to be a destabilizing orientation because it means that the answers to every discrete aesthetic choice remain um, inaccessible and counterintuitive in some way, uh, whereas perhaps with poets I so much admire, like Wallace Stevens or uh, uh, John Ashbery, at some moment in their lives, they knew what, how it was to make their own spaces, their own inimitable, utterly distinctive spaces. And um, it, it wasn't easy, I am confident, but it may have been more like opening the door to a room than to finding its location. Um, and I think I am always wandering, turning knobs, hoping that I might a light upon a space that I am happy to reside in for at least an afternoon, um, but find it very hard to return to the following day. Well, thank you. That was well said. And um, I'm so glad you did say that. I, I, we have time for one more. Do you want to read one more poem? Yeah, very good. I will read uh, from the... Yes, I'm going to read the final poem as it stands from my... <clears throat> my second collection, the developing collection. This is entitled Indirect Light. Um, this is uh, a piece of uh, a serial poem that constitutes something of a series of vertebrae in, in the book. I hesitate to call it a long poem. It isn't really that. It's um, a series of instances uh, that, that serve to, yeah, to, to graft the pieces of the anatomy of the book together, so as I imagine it. Um, and again, this is the, currently the final poem in that sequence. It is entitled Indirect Light. It's in memory of Michael Chapman, born in 1978, died in 1995. <clears throat> the only earth we knew then was the earth we would outgrow. The screech owl's talon drawn on parchment light, a yellow bulb above the porch moths, an hour there in the indistinct navy tablecloth of night, running our hands through it, rinsing our fingers as with lake water in a winter without frost. There, in the weight of it, in the air between pine needles and the rocks, sinking even then, though imperceptibly, into the tread of sucking mud, we couldn't think of it 
raised as we had been once from the wet husks of our mothers, lifted as by wind and wound in bedsheets warm as blood. We couldn't think of it. If we had known, we could have huddled, held ourselves and held each other. We could have held each breath until it clenched like granite to the riverbed of lung. But there, unknown to us, it was, as tenderly indefinite as love, a death embedded in the bright bead of each firefly we cupped out of the darkness with our palms as soft as tongues. There, as our laughter flapped above us like a swan, it was, it was, it was, it was. Thank you. Uh, such a, such a, a lovely piece, um, especially to read the last one. Um, I'm not sure where to jump in there. Is there is there anything you want to contextualize or, or, or make any note to that? It's just a just a, a lovely poem to, to end this on, and, and very very musical to me. Thank you. Um, I wish for some context. I'll say I'm always hesitant to provide too much. I was trained by by teachers uh, and and professors who were still uh, maintaining their subscription to the. Um, new critics uh, and their, their publications, as it were. I speak figuratively, um, and I, I always hope that, that, that my work um, has, a, has an independent life, but I will say that all the indirect uh, light poems in this book, that, that series of vertebrae uh, I earlier described, they're all memorials to, to kids with whom I grew up who are dead for one nefarious reason or another. Well, thank you for that. Um... Malachi, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. I want to ask one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? I, this will, uh, I, I almost hesitate to be frank with you because it, it may sound precious, but I am currently in the midst of uh, Proust. So I'm in volume four of, uh, with variably translated, but uh, Remembrance of Things Past or In Search of Lost Time. And in the Moncrief translation, courtesy of Richard Howard's uh, Spiffing Up or Polishing. Um, one of the most enveloping reading exercises of my entire adult life. I had previously read Swan's Way, but I didn't have the stamina or the, the opportunity at that time to, to push through. I find the pandemic uh, has given me ample opportunity <laughs> to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to make myself comfortable in the, in the long um, fainting chair of, of this work. Masterpiece. That's fantastic. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, Malachi, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. I want to wish you well with your manuscript. And, and again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brennard. I very much appreciate it. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>